Welcome to today's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We'll conclude our series, What's the Point? This series is based on the question that Selman asks at the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes and how he provides the answer. The message today is titled, Fear God, where we'll examine Solomon's closing remarks in the book of Ecclesiastes and his conclusions about life under the sun. Here's family pastor, J.C. Thompson. Well, good morning. If you are watching this version of the message, then you know that winter happened. Whether it's snow, wintry mix, I'm not sure, but we thought it was best to close our doors. So we're recording this uh, earlier in the week, but uh, I'm so glad that you decided still to join us today uh, for the conclusion of our series called What's the Point? Uh, I want to just start with our theme verse today, which comes from Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. I'll just read it to you. It says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. See, Solomon wrote this book of Ecclesiastes to help himself figure out what is the purpose or the meaning of life. And then by writing it, he shares that with us. So I think it's important today as we get to the end of this book to realize he's spent a majority of time in this book pursuing, trying to figure out, questioning, understanding, what's the point of all this? But today he's giving us, here's what I figured out. Here's what I've understood. And so if you could just imagine uh, a situation where you're drawing near to someone's um, bed as they're about to pass from this life and they're sharing their final words with you. That's how we need to be leaning into today's message. And so today we're going to see if you take your outline out or you got your phone or if you just want to write on the small child in front of you to keep them focused. Um, Our first point for today is this, Solomon's conclusions. His first one is this, face your mortality, face your mortality. Now this is a theme that Solomon has uh, been communicating throughout this book. And what he's been trying to get us to do is that He wants us to look at death. He wants us to look at the fact that our life on this earth will end at some point, provided Jesus Christ does not come back. And Solomon is also trying to communicate to us that there is a wisdom in not just knowing that fact, but over time looking at that, paying attention to the fact that your life is going to end. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 2 says it like this. He just says, The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially unclean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. Solomon starts by giving us six pairs to show us that death is coming for all of us regardless of what we do in this life. The pairs are as follows. Whether we are righteous or wicked, whether we're good or bad, whether we're clean or unclean, whether we are religious or irreligious, whether we're good people or a sinner, or whether we make promises to God or we don't, death is coming to all of us. But that should cause us to ask the question, well, what's the point of all this? I mean, if death is really going to come to all of us, What's the point then of living? This also flies in the face sometimes of, of preachers or teachers who may be communicating to you that, you know, if you do the right thing, then you'll experience God's blessing. But because of sin's effect on the earth, 
your, your good things, your bad things, ultimately they don't lead to a particular type of outcome. Now that doesn't mean that you won't experience the fruit of the Spirit when you obey God. But what it does mean is situationally, circumstantially, your life is not dependent on your behavior. Those circumstances come to you regardless. They come from the hand of God. And ultimately, our death comes to all of us. And I think it's important for us to understand that when, when this is being talked about by Solomon, he's trying to get us to look at life and death very clearly. He wants us to ask the question, if, I, if I'm going to die, regardless of how I live, why should I live the right way? I can't prolong my life. I can't improve the quality of my life or avoid death. What is the point of living itself? Why live the right way if I'm just going to die, suffering the same fate as someone who's evil? But Solomon wants us to see that all these things are completely meaningless. Based on his observations of life under the sun, Solomon is advocating for us that Life is different because there's someone beyond the sun, because of God who sees and judges everything. That, that's not the case. While both of us, evil, good, clean, unclean, sinners, not sinners, while each of us faces death, our judgment, the results of those judgment will be very different. He goes on to say this in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. He says, life is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life, but let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in, but remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. So Solomon starts to give advice to people uh, who maybe have different ages. So to the older folks, he says, you should enjoy every single day, every day of your life that you get. In fact, as you get closer to death, life becomes more joyful because when you wake up, you are so excited that God has given you another day. There's hope in that. There's opportunity in that. And to the younger people, he wants them to enjoy the fact that they're young, that They're going to do things that are a little silly. They're going to have adventure and seek to push their body to their limits. But he's also not telling us to enjoy youth in spite of God's commands. He's making sure that young people understand that there is a God who judges their actions. And so you see here, as Solomon is giving advice, there's a benefit to both of these groups. And it's why here I think it's important for us to understand we, we need to talk with each other. We need to share with each other our stories and our perspectives. You see the benefit of both of these groups together, the wisdom and the maturity of the elders and the vigor and zest of the youth. And when they hang out with each other, they make this wonderful mix of satisfaction with life here on earth. They can share stories of things they used to do. The the older folks can share stories of things they used to do. Younger people can, can share how they're living their life today and enjoying what God has given to them. Both groups living their life under the sun, even though they'll face disappointments, but following God's commands together. You know, this is one of the things that, unfortunately, our culture tells us is that, um, you know, when you're young, you can just do whatever you want to. Sow your wild oats. Do these things that 
um, bring you pleasure, and then kind of figure out how to wisely live your life afterwards. But the problem with that is what they don't tell you is when you do that, you're also taking a back seat. You're putting yourself further behind. There are some mistakes you can't come back from. There are some things that you do that will dramatically set your life backwards. You'll be paying the consequences of those decisions for years. And so, yeah, enjoy your life, but also live it within the boundaries that God has given to you. And what you'll see is you'll, it's almost like you've got a head start when it comes to living life with those around you. He is not advocating at all for young people to waste their life. Instead, he is urging them to enjoy it, living within the parameters that God has set for you. This is also one of the great sorrows of our life is that we were meant to live forever. When God created us, he created us for eternity. And yet the sorrow of life is that we all will all die. We're all going to end up dying because of our sin, because of the sin that has infiltrated planet earth, according to Romans 5. Solomon wants us to realize that the more we fight against this truth, the more we become frustrated because we don't control our lives. Because of sin, death is waiting on you. The sooner you embrace the fact that death is here at your doorstep, the more fully you can invest yourself into living life for something beyond the sun. But we often spend our time relying on things to us that we see as certain. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, This past week after I got home uh, from the workday, I get home and my refrigerator has stopped working. Now, I don't know about you, but I would never say that I place my faith in the refrigerator to stay powered on. But at the same time, I remember looking at that refrigerator that had been powered off for a few hours, and I remember thinking to myself, how could you do this to me, refrigerator? How could you power yourself off? Now, I don't know if you've ever talked to inanimate objects or if that's just a a me thing, but we rely on these things that are creations to do what we need them to do. And we believe that they should always do what they were created to do. And thankfully, as we're walking through this series in Ecclesiastes, rather than tear what's left of my hair out or rip my beard, I remembered, you know what? This is just my lot in life today. This is what God has given to me. And so uh, you have to accept the fact that the things that we see as certainties aren't certainties at all. And it helps you enjoy the blessings of this life. But here's, here's a question. Would you consider placing your life into the hands of God rather than keeping your life in your own hands? As you look at the things that you view as certainty, these things will always happen. When I hit a light switch, the lights will always come on. When, I, when the, my house is cold, I can always turn on the heat and the heat will work. I, I just want to ask you, like, do you really think you can control all those things? And if you can't control those things that we created to help our life, how much more do you think that you can control your own life? How much more do you think that you can really do something significant to change the trajectory of your life? And Solomon wants us to see that we need to face that grim fact. The second thing that he wants us to see is that we should find pleasure in today. We should find pleasure in today. Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He says it like this. He says, so go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well, 
For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Now, Solomon doesn't just say, enjoy the things of life. He gives us examples that we should be looking at when it comes to our own life. The first two things he talks about are eating good food and drinking wine. Now, we've talked about this before in this series, but I think this is one of the things that we should be thinking about and doing on a regular basis. Our food and drink were given to us to be received with both thanksgiving and with joy. It's also important for us to understand that this is not advocating something different that the Bible talks about elsewhere. The Bible does not condone drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin according to the Scriptures. They also teach us that we should consider others' convictions when we make decisions on food and drink. Now, I think it's important for us to understand this. Moderation is an okay position for a Christian to take, and so is no alcohol consumption at all. Both of those are biblical positions that we can take. But we should not fight with each other over this. In fact, we should lovingly respect the other Christian, the the other people, the other brothers and sisters. We should respect their decision in what they choose to do. So, a nice glass of wine or glass of bourbon is not sinful, and it's okay to enjoy it. And it's also okay to not find pleasure in any of those things. That's okay. I think for me, it's also important to mention here that when you read the Gospels through, you see a tremendous amount of times where Jesus is surrounded by food and drink and enjoyment. It just seems like if you were to read the Gospels, if you were to read the book of Matthew and Mark from beginning to end, you would see Jesus at the table with people on a regular basis. In fact, you might say, we need to get past this food part so we can get to the teaching or the miracles because it's everywhere. Jesus enjoyed his life here on earth, and yes, he had a significant mission, but he enjoyed it. Then Solomon suggests that we should wear fine clothes, even a splash of cologne. Other translations might say, anoint your head with oil. Now, those might seem very different to you. In fact, as I was studying this, I thought those are extremely different. Why would the NLT say cologne, and this says oil? What does that mean? But the dry climate of the Middle East would have meant that you would have had to put oil on your face, perhaps even your hair, to keep those uh, places, your skin, your hair from drying out. And so basically what Solomon is saying is, is that we should be wearing nice clothes. We should be caring about our skincare routine. That's what he's saying. Those things should bring us joy. The fact that we can wear different clothes than one another should bring us joy. But again, all these things that we enjoy provide opportunities to be frustrated with people. Well, they wear too nice a clothes or they wear too poor a clothes. And I will just say, enjoy what you have and share it with others and be okay with the fact that everyone has chosen to do something unique to them. And I think that's wonderful. Solomon also advocates for you to enjoy your spouse, their company, their friendship, and even physical pleasure with your spouse. Fellas, I just want to say this. Put some nice clothes on, take a bath, put some cologne on, Go to a restaurant that has good food and good drink and take your wife out on a date and have a blast and recognize every single portion of that as a gift from God. Solomon also encourages us to find joy in our work and in our hobbies. Now, we talked about this a lot. Hard work is meant to be something that we were supposed to be doing before sin entered into the world. And so we should find things like work and our hobbies enjoyable. They should bring us pleasure and satisfaction when we do hard work, when we uh, practice and participate in these things that uh, bring us joy. We should 
love those things and appreciate them as gifts from God. But these earthly gifts are also meant to do something else for us. We shouldn't just enjoy them and all that they offer to us, but we should also recognize that they're meant to point us to a greater gift. That one day, if you think the food that you enjoy here on earth is good, if you think the drink that you enjoy here on earth is good, if you think you've got the finest clothes, if you think your cologne is the best, if you think you've got the best friends, if you think your work and hobbies are the best, the Bible teaches us, just wait. Just wait till you get to heaven. Because the things that are here on this earth, it's not that they're not pleasurable. It's not that they're not awesome. It's not that we should not enjoy them, but it is just that they will pale in comparison to the things that God has planned for his children. And I can't wait for that. Now, in reading Ecclesiastes, we may see that Solomon may not know everything that there is to know about the afterlife. It sometimes seems like he's kind of looking through a fog. He doesn't have it all figured out. But we do know that he knows that God will judge people. He knows that judgment is coming. And he also talks about eating and drinking a lot. We see Jesus living this way all the time. I think it's important for us to understand that Living a faithful Christian life is not opposed to enjoying the gifts of this world. I'm going to say that again. Living a faithful Christian life is not opposed to enjoying the gifts of this world. This is meant to be a picture of what's to come. And I think it's, it's crucial for us because sometimes we do this maybe unintentionally or maybe intentionally. We try to make good things not so good things to our kids. We try to make good things not so good things to young people. Why? Because we don't want them to be controlled by them. We don't want them to be practicing idolatry towards these good gifts. But in some ways, what that also makes us believe is that God doesn't want us to enjoy these things, that these things are not a gift from God. And that, that's a particular challenge. You know, a, a lot of you may have experienced this even in marriage where you're told, hey, keep yourself clean before marriage, which is a biblical thing. But the unbiblical thing is that is a bad thing. Sexual union is a bad thing. Physical pleasure is a bad thing. But that's not what the scriptures teach us. And so you see young couples as they're getting married have this struggle as they're trying to figure out, well, I've been told this is bad and not to do it. And now it's not bad. It is good and that I should be participating in it. And that can provide a challenge. It's, It's crucial that we understand that the Bible talks about good food and drink and these things that bring us joy. But Christians should not enjoy sin. If these things become sinful in any way, either by overindulgence or abuses, those are, not, those are things are not advocated in any way by the Scriptures. Christians should enjoy the blessings of this life even more than someone who has no faith. We should enjoy the gifts that God has given us even more than someone who's a sinner because we have faith in a Creator God who created these things for our good. So we should enjoy the benefit that these things bring to us, but they should also grow our affection our praise, and our honor to God. They should grow our faith. You know, I think it's one of the things that you should think about as a family. As you pray before your dinner every single day, I know it's something that I was raised doing, and it is a wonderful thing to ask God to bless our food. But I think, why do we not pray after our dinner? 
Why do we not celebrate the fact that that was one of the best dinners I ever had? Why don't we just lift up a praise to God and say, God, thank you for making delicious pulled pork that I just devoured on this plate. Thank you that it tastes so good to me. You are so good, and I thank you for that. You know, I think it would be good that we start to pray not only before dinner, but also after dinner as a way to worship God. Solomon also, in chapter 10, also warns us of foolishness. He wants us to know that wise people do not do foolish things. Verse 2 and 3 of chapter 10, he says this, A wise person chooses the right road. A fool takes the wrong one. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. Now, before you go too far, hopefully that is not some joke about the way that I walk. I don't think that Solomon is telling that to us, but what he is trying to tell us is that wisdom and foolishness are seen in people by their behaviors and their choices. Now, unfortunately, we've seen a great disservice here in this country when it comes to how Christians are taught about faith, or sometimes even how they think it's being taught. We sometimes catch that it is what we believe or what we think about God and His world rather than what we do. And what I want to tell you is there is a a connection that cannot be separated. What we believe is what we do. And when we see what people do and choose, that tells us what they believe. So we can't believe that God provides everything to us for our benefit and then not enjoy the things that we have been given. It, It doesn't make sense. So We see what people do, either wise or foolish things, and that lets us know what they believe. But it doesn't work the other way. It doesn't work in the reverse order. So Solomon here is sharing that the way that we see that is by people's choices, not their thoughts. That's not to say that what people think is not important, but it just says that if you have faith, it should result in good deeds towards the benefit of others and God. Real enlivened faith changes hearts and results in benevolent living to honor God and serve others. So here's a question. How are your actions showing your joy in the blessings of God? How are your actions showing your joy in the blessings of God? Who have you shared those blessings with? Who around you in your neighborhood or at your job or in your family are you sharing the blessings of God with? Lastly, Solomon's last conclusion, fear God, fear God. He starts this section with how he, in, he began this book, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Verse 8 in chapter 12 says it like this in the NLT. He says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. Solomon here tells us that wisdom is beneficial. It is helpful to us. Now, a goad, uh, which is the object that Solomon is talking about here, is a pointed stick used by shepherds to guide sheep away from danger and into safety. And Solomon is communicating to us here that 
the words of a wise person serve the same function. The words of a wise person help us stay away from danger and move towards safety. You know, it's one of the things sometimes that you hear us say and, and talk about, maybe not thinking about the implications of that, but we sometimes say, well, sometimes we just have to learn it on our own. Sometimes we just have to learn it on our own. Or sometimes I just need to fail. That's how I'll learn it. I can't learn it from someone else, but that's not true. The scriptures tell us all the time that we don't have to learn just from our own failures. We can learn from the failures of someone else who would share that with us. Don't do this. Hey, I did this a long time ago. Don't make the same mistake. Instead, try to do this. So those words, even though it may feel painful at certain points, it is also so helpful and beneficial to us. I'll give you one that I love. Sometimes when people are working on projects or they're talking about something, they come to you and they say, hey, give me your thoughts. And sometimes what they mean to say is, tell me this is good. Tell me this is good. Pat me on the back. Give me a high five. And you know what? If they just said that, if they just said, hey, give me a high five, I would absolutely give them a high five, right? But when they ask for your thoughts, you share your thoughts because that's what they asked for. And oftentimes, because they're not exactly what they wanted to hear, it can appear very painful. It can be frustrating to hear those things. But you've got to remember, you ask this person for advice because of their wisdom, because of their insight. And so even if it doesn't make sense to you, you should at least consider very strongly what they say to you because, because what they say can guide you into safety and away from danger. Now, essentially, this book, Ecclesiastes, is just like that. These sayings can be very hard. They can be difficult. Facing death, all of us are going to die. Your bodies are decaying and they are wasting away. Enjoy your life while you can because you may not get enough time to enjoy it. Don't waste your money on frivolous investments. Work hard. Enjoy life. These can be painful to us, especially if we have been making mistakes in this life. But they are also true. Solomon wrote to us to give us the truth. But that truth is also a delight. It's a delight. You know, I've met many people who disregard the gospel and they say, this is just made up. This is fantasy. This is fiction. This is fabricated. This is an old story of an old world, but we live in a modern world. But can I tell you something? Sometimes it's not necessarily the evidence that they're frustrated with. The thing that they're frustrated with is that if this is true, if this is true, I must face the things that this book has to say. And sometimes it's not the evidence itself that they have a problem with. In fact, the book that we teach from, read from, gain insight from every single week is the most historically reliable and accurate document from antiquity that exists regardless of genre, language, or setting. That's not up for debate. But what is up for debate is, is it true? Is this true? And we know as followers of Christ that these words are true. We know that not only are they wise, not only are they true, but when you live in the way that they ask you to live, you find delight. I think it's important for us to understand that especially as we're talking with someone about faith, that it's not just the evidence that may be keeping them from Christ. It may be their own idolatry of not wanting to say no to the things that God says no to. These words are not just good for us. 
they're not just true, but they also speak about heaven. He ends his book with our theme verses for today in verses 13 and 14, which I'll read again. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. What's the point? How and why should we live our life? I want to use another translation to just pull a little bit more richness out of this text. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 in the ESV says it in this way. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man. This is the whole duty. Every thought, every dream, every effort, every plan, every aspiration that we have, all of it is about God. Every single thing that we should be about as a people is about God. God will judge everything that we say, think, or do good or bad. So we've seen Solomon's understanding of life here under the sun, but Solomon did not have the whole picture of life beyond the sun. He knew that God was existing outside of time and space, and he knew that one day God would judge us based on what we've done here on this earth. But what he didn't know and what brought him great sorrow is that when we've made mistakes and failures, what does it look like to come back from those things? And so today, I want to share that story with you. I want to share with you the whole picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also, if you're in here and you're realizing like Solomon, man, if I, if I don't have faith in God, if God's going to judge everything that I do in this life, I, that's not going to turn out good for me. What can I do? What is there available to, to me? What must I do? And if you're a follower of Christ in here, you may be thinking, JC, I know this to be true. I, I base my life on this, but how do I share this with someone? How do I share this with someone else? Well, I want to give you a tool today. This comes from the North American Mission Board. And uh, this, this tool is just called the Three Circles. Now, this isn't the only tool that's out there, but I think it's an important tool for us to understand because it's another way for us to learn to communicate the gospel to people. So, let's walk through this tool today. The Three Circles example is as follows. First, God designed the world. Now, we see this in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we know it to be true. God has a design not only for the world and the planet, but God has a design for our lives. He has a design for the way that we choose things. He has a design for how we should view marriage, how our families uh, operate, and our jobs. When we live by God's design, we get to experience the blessing of God. The problem is that we choose not to live by God's design. When we live apart from God's design, the Bible uses a word to describe that choice. And that word is sin. Sin is the pathway we take away from God's design. When we sin, we leave God's blessings in this life to live life in our own way, and we end up in a place called brokenness. Now, we all know this. This is one of the easiest things to share when it comes to sharing your faith with someone. This world is a broken place. We experience it every day when we feel things like shame or guilt, rejection, fear, failure. When we experience brokenness, though, we try to fix it. We try to figure out a way out of that brokenness, which you see represented by these arrows. We do these things called solutions. 
The world is broken, so we try things like self-care. We try the newest promotion that we see on our social media pages. We see home projects. We see substance abuse, religion. We try to make more money. All of these in a desire to fix what is broken in our lives. These are solutions. We use these solutions to try to mask, escape, lessen our brokenness. And while this brokenness hurts, it's also our helper. See, Solomon wanted to show you what is broken in this planet. He wants you to see that there's got to be more out there than just what is available to us under the sun. And that there are still good things in this world, even though we live in brokenness. But we cannot solve our brokenness using our human resources. It must come from God. And the Bible gives us the answer to our brokenness. And the answer to that is the gospel. The gospel. That word is translated as good news. Jesus came to earth and he never lived his life apart from God's design. Jesus was tortured and put to death on a cross for the sins of the world. While Jesus was on that cross, God put the sins of the world onto his son Jesus and Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. After that, Jesus announced that his work was finished. Before he died, he said, it is finished and he passed away. Then they took his body, placed it in a tomb, and three days after that, he was raised from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to us that the work that Jesus accomplished here on the earth was accepted by God, that what Jesus said about himself was true. When we read the words of Jesus, we know it's true because he was raised from the dead. Jesus came to forgive our sins. He came to heal our brokenness. The change that we need in our lives does not come from within us. It comes from God. The Bible says that what we must do is we must have faith. We must accept the gospel. And the way that this happens in us, we must have belief. The way that this happens is that the Spirit reveals our brokenness to us. In fact, throughout this series, you may have recognized your brokenness. The Holy Spirit has shown you that you are living life apart from God's design. And the Spirit also reveals to us that we need to make a change. We cannot continue to live life in this way. Much like Solomon's understanding that life under the sun is not enough, the Spirit reveals to us that if we continue to live in our brokenness, we know inside of us, inside our conscience, inside our mind, inside our hearts, we know that if we just rely on ourselves, the same will happen to us. We will have a meaningless existence. Then the Spirit convinces you that the only way out of that, the only way out of your brokenness is faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You respond to the Spirit's leading by repenting of your sins. Now to repent simply means to change your mind, to change your direction, to say what I thought was right is not right and I must do something different. What I thought was right was not right and I must do something different. When you place your faith in Christ, repentance and belief are the first steps of obedience to Christ. The Spirit will come into your life, He'll empower your obedience, and He will begin to heal the brokenness that's inside of you. Then you'll begin to live together with the Spirit inside of you based on the example of Jesus Christ, governed, controlled, with God's presence around you to recover and pursue God's design for your life. The last step of these three circles is that, to recover and pursue. Today, you can begin to live life in God's design. Once again, you can do this by continuing to communicate with God, to connect with others, 
and to care for others as well. It's important to know that just as we've learned in the book of Ecclesiastes, that our lives will not be perfect, even though we place our faith in Christ, our sins are truly forgiven, and our brokenness truly can be healed so we can begin to experience the peace that comes only from God today. If that's you out there, if you're watching this, somehow we believe that God is taking my words, translating them to your heart through his spirit, and he's revealing to you, JC, I am broken. I'm not living the way, life the way that God designed it. And I, I need to do something. What do I do? God is showing me that this is not the right way to live. Well, I just want to tell you, if you're watching this online, on, on church online, on your computer, you'll have a, a place where you can click and express to someone, I want to place my faith in Christ today and I want to talk to somebody. If you're watching this on your television or on your computer in some other way, you can call this number that'll be on the screen. It's uh, 8355-864-688-8355. That'll direct you to someone here. We'd love to have a counselor or pastor talk to you today. If that's you and you recognize the fact that you're living a broken life, and apart from Christ entering into your life, you're not going to find hope. You're not going to find a way out. Today is your day. Today is the day that you can have your sins forgiven and you can experience true life in Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but I've benefited greatly from this series and all the things that Solomon has taught. I've enjoyed my life a little bit more these last few weeks, and I'm praying that God, as he continues to lead us as a church, will continue to move us closer to him as we live this life here on this earth. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much, and we are so thankful for all that you do for us. Thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes even though sometimes it feels like a gut punch, that it says the things that we don't want it to say, even though they're true. God, I pray that you would build us up, you'd encourage us, you'd challenge us to embrace these truths. God, I pray especially that you would teach us to enjoy our life here on earth. God, we will spend many more days in, in your heaven because of what you've done on behalf of us. And our lives here are short, so God, help us make these days matter. Help our words, our choices, our behaviors, our actions to bring glory and honor to your name and to point people towards a God who loves them. And God, if there's someone here today who's heard this message, I pray, God, that your spirit would just engulf them. That, God, your spirit would penetrate their hearts. That you'd invest yourself in them and that they'd be changed forever. We love you. To the name of Christ, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Next week, we'll begin studying the life of Joseph with a new series titled Living with Integrity. To prepare, read Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 36. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. You can email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or just call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review so that others can experience a transformed life in Christ as well. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.